0: We acknowledge that Research Recasted is recorded on Treaty 6 territory, the gathering grounds for many diverse First Nations, Métis, and Inuit peoples, whose footsteps have marked this land and whose presence continue to enrich our vibrant community.
1: Hello and welcome back to Research Recasted, the knowledge mobilization podcast. I'm Brittany Eklund and I'm here with Dylan Cave and two guests today, Dr. Heather fitzsimmons frey and Robin Ailes.
0: Dr. Fitzsimmons Frey is an assistant professor of arts and cultural management here at McEwen University. She's also a theater director and a drama, theater, and performance studies scholar. Her primary focus is in the arts and cultural sector in young people.
1: Joining her is Robin Ailes, an assistant professor in the department of theater. She is a professional theater designer who teaches props and paint in the BFA theater production major. Her current research focuses on theater for the early years, which is zero to five, particularly on the relationship between young children, their parents, and caregivers with actors and production elements.
0: Hey, uh, welcome in uh, both of you. Thank you so much for taking the time to uh, come and hang out with us today on the podcast um, to talk a little bit about the Urban Wildlife Project. So if you guys want to jump right in and tell us a little bit about the project and how it came to work on it.
2: Thanks so much for hosting us today and inviting us to be here.
3: Thanks,
0: our pleasure.
2: So, the Urban Wildlife Project is an immersive theater experience for eighteen month to about five year old um, children,
3: and it's a it's a fully at this point it's a fully designed project that is just coming to uh, the, the place where we're going to be able to invite a public audience. We've been working so far with uh, Early Learning at McEwen, which is the the childcare center here, and they've been our research partners. We've been uh, doing workshops with them, doing some performance with them, having them in to see what our actors have done or what the design is at at this particular point in time.
2: We've been working really closely with the educators um, with the leadership team there and then also with the children who we also position as our co-researchers. And we're fortunate to also work with McEwen students as research assistants and they support us as actors and as theater designers and um,
3: technical and technicians. work, technicians,
2: videographers. <laughs> it's been really beautiful
3: to have their support
2: well. that's as one well. thing
0: about theater, right, is it is such a collaboration from so many different um fields. Mm-hmm.
3: And and we've been working on this for a couple of years now, so we've had a whole range of student assistants that have been just fantastic.
2: Our project's really about relationships, relationships to space, between uh, performers and children and educators and all those kinds of things. But it is called the Urban Wildlife Project. And so our subject has been for locally common animals. We've been looking at squirrels, chickadees, magpies and jackrabbits or hares.
0: So what's the immersive part? How does how does this tie into uh, children? How are you immersing the audience in what you're doing?
3: Well, our we don't expect our audience to just sit and watch. Our audience comes in and they can move around the space. They can interact with the actors. They can play with the props. We always make sure at the very end of any kind of presentation that there's Some hands-on playtime as well. So children who didn't get a chance during the performance always get a chance to touch the props, play with the props, run around and be birds. Mm -hmm. But during the performance, we don't expect children to sit quietly and watch. We expect them to interact with the actors. We expect them to roam around the space. We expect them to be a part of the performance.
2: The immersive theater experience is a creative offering and then children become what we like to call co-imaginers of possibilities. And that's from flight Alberta's early learning and care, uh, early learning and care framework. And that's a document that we've been working on to help support our dramaturgy. And it's one that's used for curriculum development at early learning at McEwen as well.
3: And through at other uh, early learning centers and mm-hmm. daycares in Alberta,
2: yeah, there's a big, huge Shirk funded project that's being offered. Um, that's been run since I think 2014 here about that research as well, but we're not, um, directly a part of that.
1: Okay. I mm-hmm. mean, I, I'm curious, I hear magpies and chickadees and, and jackrabbits. Um, can you tell me a little bit about, you know, what does this experience look like? Obviously, if there's going to be audience engagement, it can't be up on a stage. It has to be relatively friendly to little people. So I mean, can you paint the picture, I guess, in the listener's head of, of what they're going to see and what story these animals are telling? How about
2: I'll start with how we enter the space and then I'll let you kind of sure. take over some of the design elements because I think that that'll work. So um, we, one of the things that we, as I mentioned, that's really important to us is relationships. And so for this type of work, there has to be very small audiences of children. And what we're talking about is usually under 15 young audience members and sometimes fewer than that. So it's resource intensive to do this type of work. So children will arrive. At the moment, they're arriving with their educators, although they could be arriving with caregivers as well to this space. And we... Um, do some work to invite the adults in and the children into the space. We talk a little bit about what the experience is going to be and we do some kind of calming exercises and then everybody enters the space. And when they enter the space, we've been working with this in different ways. But one of the ways that we have done it is we've had a beautiful chickadee puppet come on the hands of various performers and that chickadee has invited the children into the space followed by a kind of an immersive chickadee song but that's not the only way they've been invited in
3: uh when we invited them into uh the theater here it's a it's a black box space so it it's just a big open space but we and our our research partner travis hat was a part of this as well we draped large amounts of silk and we had projection spaces that were silk pieces and we had it was quite quite dark but Uh, still a friendly kind of darkness with lots of colored light and things that children could touch and move and walk through. And so they came into that space and they spent some time just sort of wandering through and touching things and running through a sort of fabric forest that was there. And we played sounds of mostly chickadees, but also squirrels. Sometimes if we moved into a, 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 slide or a filmic piece that had magpies, we'd add magpie sound to it. So when we're dealing with an animal, usually there's some kind of puppet or small animal version of it. There's some visuals of it. There's sound of it. And sometimes the actors are playing in the way that those animals might play.
2: We have a creative scaffold that is set up so that there's different beats that the performers and I'm using the word performers because some of our performers are actors some are dancers and then in the case of Travis Hat, he was working kind of as a performative lighting technician he sort of said it was a bit like a rock concert for babies sometimes
1: I mean I love that so much <laughs> so he was in
2: responding to where children were engaging in certain space and changing the lights and and that sort of thing so he's also playing with the children and working with the sound that way but we have certain areas where we're where that um, scaffold of performance is shared with the children and then they can choose how and when and if they want to engage with that. So when Robin mentioned that children may not have had a chance to engage because um, maybe they didn't want to, maybe they didn't feel comfortable at that moment, or maybe because they were busy doing something else, then they'll have a chance to do something later. But there's that invitation and then children can choose to come to the work on their own terms. And so we feel like that's a bit of a more democratic relationship than maybe they sometimes get to experience when they're in a performance environment.
1: Absolutely. I think, I mean, even even saying, you know, a democratic relationship with children would perhaps boggle some people's minds and being like, what, what do you mean? Because I think a lot of times children are not given agency in what they do and what kind of theater they consume because it's up to a parent to bring them in. It's up to a parent to decide where you're going that day. So mm-hmm. I think well, that's And, really that, and that, is,
3: that is still true. It's up, it's up to a parent or a caregiver to decide if you're going, but it's still up to the child to decide how much they want to immerse themselves or be involved. For some children, watching is the involvement that they want. They don't want to be a part of it. They just want to sit and see and this gives them the opportunity to do that. It doesn't make them respond or make them uh, be a part of it if they're not ready to do that. Watching is is just as valid as as reacting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we- that's actually something that I think flight has taught us that, that being able to look at how children process, how they make uh, worlds their own, how they want to be a part of something. They're, they're learners. They're they're in charge of their own knowledge and their own uh, participation.
1: Absolutely. And part of this participation um, is also for caregivers, correct? Can you talk about how um, they come into the scene and the experience?
2: Yeah, I'd be happy to talk a little bit about that. And I'm sure you're going to have some things that you want to add because... um, We've been really privileged to be working with the team at Elm because they're so richly invested in children and they call them mighty learners and citizens. And it's so great to be working with people who have that perspective. But we've also been learning as we've been doing our research on good ways to communicate with them about our expectations and how they can be in the space. We hope that they will also play with the children and with our actors, but that the situation is actor And especially child led in those ways. And so, for example, in the installation that we were working on this summer in July, um, the children would sometimes bring a puppet or they would bring shaky eggs or silks to an educator and then invite them to participate with that. And that's been really wonderful. We noticed that. Because we had the privilege of bringing the same group of children in twice this summer, sometimes in the second iteration. I would say that the children were so confident that sometimes they just they didn't feel like they needed their educators in the same way. And then the educators did a lot more watching and observation and witnessing as well.
3: And that that's very true, especially we've done that twice. We've been able to have the same group come one day and then come another day. And so we've reassessed in between and then changed a few things and had them come in and always on the first day, because they haven't necessarily been with us before or been to that space before they're more hesitant. They'd like to sit with right beside their, their educator. Um, But we noticed this time when they came into the dark room on the second day, when the, when some of the kids came in, they just came racing in, they knew where they were going and they were so excited to come back and they were, they, their educators were still at the door and they'd come running in the room.
0: (laughs) This makes me think that this could be a permanent installation somewhere, you know?
3: You know, it could, it could in a way there are some researchers in England. uh, Roma Patel comes to mind that has set up installations like that, but they don't use actors. They're just using, um, they're using electronics and responses. Yeah. Yeah. but, yeah. but we're looking more at the relationships between people.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. And so
3: we're more interested, although we're interested in, in the relationship between children and their educators and and the environment, we're also interested in their relationships with the actors. And it's we do do a little bit of storytelling, but I wouldn't say it's a strong storytelling. It's more a scenario kind of idea. So they might, the actors might be magpies that are collecting things and the children might come and be part of that, or be squirrels that are collecting pine cones, and the children will also come and collect the pine cones and offer them to the actors or hide them away. So there they're scenarios like that as opposed to a long storytelling um piece. Talia Asentelander
2: in Sweden does durational work for children, which includes actors and dancers and five hours where families can drop in and leave as they want to. And we have talked about that kind of work as well. But at the moment, ours does kind of have a structure of a beginning, a middle and an end. And so, um, like I said, beats that we try to hit. So different kinds of experiences, which might be prop led. So we bring in a new something or lighting led where there's a new kind of an experience happening that way, or maybe a dance exploration, a movement exploration that children are going to have an opportunity to explore together, maybe different ways of flying or different ways of moving like squirrels or eating like squirrels, things like that. We specifically chose animals that they would be familiar with, right? So that they- Here in Edmonton. (laughs) Yeah, so it works here. And I guess it may not work so beautifully in other places. I might mean, just yeah. have to adapt, you know, yeah. adapt
0: to, to what the local local chickadees are like in the yeah. different Find regions. I know about raccoons
3: in <laughs> and, Toronto. Yeah. Well, we, and we purposely chose what we considered were more benign animals, although magpies questionable. Yes, um,
1: <laughs>
3: but but we didn't choose coyotes or things that might be a danger. But also
2: because we thought that young children are extremely likely to be familiar with these other ones in a really personal way. And I see coyotes, coyotes here in the city, but not everybody has that opportunity, but almost everybody's seen a chickadee.
1: Yes. Absolutely. Or heard one.
3: Yeah. Or heard one indeed. And, and the, the rabbits here or the the jackrabbits here, there, there are plenty right around the campus here. So we know that our Elm children are really aware of, of the rabbits a prolific
1: mm-hmm. i've i went to a show once and the performer sarah harmer is from out east and she was like you guys just have rabbits everywhere like and it struck a little me little family of that, rabbits up beside my house is this not normal for every city
0: <laughs> it's it's so interesting like uh, uh i'll go on uh late night walks or whatever and i'll come across always a pack of coyotes chasing a pack of little rabbits. Oh, yeah. it's, it's just like a constant thing. And I live in the um, uh, Papasteo region. So right, right on the Mill Creek ravine and it's just full of wildlife. It's amazing. I love living there.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, we are going to talk a little bit um, more about kind of the role of movement and the importance of, of, you know, structure performance style, but I want to go back a teensy bit to the beginning to, you know both of you what drove you to want to work with children uh or in other words our youngest citizens who wouldn't want to i, I mean, mean i feel like some people honestly probably are not keen on it
3: it's it's such a great place to explore for theater uh children are wildly open to ideas and have very little inhibition about how they want to play and what they might do, and and often do really unexpected things, which are really exciting in theater. Mm-hmm. We like children are are natural improvisers, and it's a it's a skill that we want our actors to have and our technicians to have. So it's great to work with them, and they and our research assistants get to see that and respond to that, and it's really great training for them as well. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 perfect
0: isn't that Mm -hmm. part of performance practice to strip down all of your preconceptions of what you ought to think is acting and become like a child and and just like respond it's one
1: it's one way yeah
0: yeah
1: yeah heather what about yourself like what what led you to wanting to focus your research on on children and young people wow Well, for this particular
2: project, I would say that I got introduced to the idea of theater for the very young from a local actor, Jared Matsunga Turnbull. And he went to an Assetesh conference in, I think, 2008 in Australia. And he came back and told me about it. And he said, you've got to look into this. And I thought, no, I don't. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Um,
2: And then I had the privilege of going to Assetesh to see some work um, and also to... Toronto's We Festival I started to work with the artistic director there on um, bringing in and creating work and um, I was amazed at the beautiful variety the quality the aesthetics the exciting ideas that were there and I thought this is this is what I want to do Alinda says that um, it can be the most innovative and exciting work and of course that's her area she's the Wii Festival. But I do think that that's inspiring. Just like Robin said, there's so much there. There's so much wonder and possibility and creative options.
1: There are. (laughs) And I, I like, you know, that, you know, when you see sometimes a child and you see what they're doing or you see what they're interested in, that it does have the ability to kind of like jolt something and maybe it's a memory of your own. Um, but like there's a reason that people like watching videos just of babies literally doing nothing, like being a baby, because there is a joyfulness or like a baby laughing, give me a break. <laughs> it's one of the best things to see on the internet. Um
2: may I just respond to that for yes, a second? Please. Sure. Because I think that this has also been something that we've been really enjoying working on. We were first working with Margaret McCutitian from the Bachelor of Early Childhood curriculum and then worked with Jamie Leach who's also assistant professor there and she's moved on to a different position now but they were really helping us to think about ideas about constructions of childhood and how constructing childhood influences what kind of creative work we do and how we approach them as audiences and co-researchers and co-imaginers of possibilities and they really kept us on our toes like really thinking about a lot of those issues.
3: Yeah it was great to have them as part of our research team because Mm -hmm. um they look at it from we look at it from a theatrical angle and they look at it from a child learning educator angle and it it really helped us put our audience into the center of what we were doing our, all the time so that instead of thinking whether something worked for the actors when we were improvising because this is all devised work there there's no written there was no written script it was devised by the actors as we went along and so we would see how the children reacted, we talk about how they reacted, talk about what we thought was working for them as opposed to what was working for the actors.
2: We talked a lot about how the children's responses helped us to think about meaning-making, which is one of the things that we talked about. So how are children making meaning from this and what could their response mean for us and for them? So if a child is choosing to watch quietly, what are the different things that that could mean? There's one story that I like to share where we were doing a bit of a narrative about bunnies and rabbits getting ready for bedtime. It was probably one of our most narrative-driven pieces. And during that sharing, many of the children started to curl up underneath the blankets that we had left out as nests for the children. And it was quite powerful to see that happening and to see that they were playing along and making that story part of their own work. But then we brought out a giant silk to be a sky cloth for the birds to fly through. And some of the children didn't get up. And we started to wonder, well, why was that? Was it because they weren't ready to participate? Was it because they were looking for a different kind of transition? Was it because they still wanted to stay in that cozy, cuddly moment and they didn't want to, or maybe they just hadn't seen it happening yet? Like, what are those things? And it really asks us to avoid making assumptions about what children like and what they don't like and what kind of meaning they're they're generating from the work that they do
1: and how they respond. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm trying to figure out how to to word this. You know, when you're talking about a cozy blanket on the floor with the narrative of a bunny going to bed and then a sky cloth that birds fly in. I'm just curious about some of the, the other ways or, or the ways that you are creating structure within kind of that interactive narrative um, and the performance styles um, that support the kids.
3: Mm. That's a big question to
1: unpack. Okay. Yeah. Um,
3: <laughs> well, let's, let's talk a little bit about how we have, the different ways that we've approached chickadees because some of that might make sense. So we have little chickadee puppets that have brought children into a space. And then we've played some chickadee songs. And then the actors have improvised a song that sounds a little bit like chickadees. And then, um, and they've, they've interacted with the children, with the puppets, they've done the song and then they've sort of become chickadees and they've fed and flown around and had the actors fly around with them as well. So it's it's sort of a narrative, but there was no language in that at all. It was just all um, sound and imitated chickadee sound and singing sounds.
2: And um, Go ahead. Oh, alongside those things. So we've got the representation of chickadees through a puppet that's small enough to sit on my finger uh, to a full-bodied expression of of an actor being, being a chickadee as if, right. Um, and then we've got those sounds that you, that you have. And then um, we would have had images like film. Yeah. Video then images. We, we've
3: also used like oversized images of chickadees coming to, to land on a hand. When we did that, we had children rushing up to the screen to, to feed the, the, the film chickadee or bringing the little puppets up to meet the other chickadees the the big film chickadee because the big the film chickadee was oh as big as l- they were as big were, as an adult yeah projected but they could stand in front of it sometimes they stood in front of it and pretended to be the chickadee so it was all all those things around the idea of chickadee
2: and then some really abstract ideas like we use little hand silks to represent baby chickadees in flight or we used um, shaky eggs for multiple purposes, but children often adopted those as eggs and, like, actually had nests for their birds and things. Aww. So I think what you—I hope what you're hearing is that there's— that we try to approach this in terms of movement and object theater and, like, a really sort of diverse way of thinking about what a chickadee could be and how to aestheticize that, I guess.
1: Yeah, I guess I'm just curious about, um, from your perspectives. Um, and the project what the role and importance of movement is Mm. because it's something I feel like was mentioned um, as being, you know, important piece of this.
2: Mm -hmm. So one of the things that Jamie and Margaret drew our attention to is the idea of multimodal literacies. And so this is a new term for us, but I feel like it has a lot of resonance in the world of theater and performance because what you're doing in multimodal literacies is learning one way of expressing an idea, for example, a song, and then interpreting it in another way and using that in a, in a different form. And so one of the things that children, very young children are doing all the time is reinterpreting, reinterpreting. So sometimes they're doing dramatic play and sometimes they're doing like actually just tactile sensory exploration of an object and Those kinds of different things that will help them to understand an idea. And one of the really great things that we think we bring in the world of theater is body awareness and performance and dance or movement type dance where we can help people to really imagine through our bodies and through that relationship to what we're doing. And then that creates a playful relationship between the actor and the child and the educator who might be there. So how does that sound, Robin?
3: Yeah, I think a little, let's talk a little bit about how we interpreted magpies because that has a little bit of movement to it. So one of the things that we did with magpies is with the actors, we talked about magpie language, things that, that describe magpies for us. So things like swooping and diving and flying and calling and I'm trying to think of some of the other words. We had a list of, of like...
2: Pick a fight in an empty tip. room was yeah. a oh, they, phrase from a poem. It was so good.
3: <laughs> um,
0: they also like hopping. Yep. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, yeah. We had hopping like, on their, hopping their list. Hopping and mm-hmm. strutting. So all the ways magpies moved. And then the actors explored some of that on their own. And then when we came to one of the offerings when, where we were primarily dealing with magpies, they used those words with the children and made those movements. And lots of the children wanted to be part, of, some of them just wanted to watch, but lots of them wanted to be part of that. So mm-hmm. they'd, they'd say the language, the 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 actors would say, I'm strutting. And they'd strut across the room with, and and children would follow them. And, and then they'd respond to some of what the children were doing and they'd have that interaction. So movement is a part of it. Language is a part of it. Storytelling is a part of it. Narrative is a part of it. Um, and yeah. if we were seeing
2: children doing one of those movements like hopping, for example, like you suggested, we would acknowledge that movement maybe or by either saying, I see you hopping, you're hopping so high, or by hopping with that child. But there's no kind of value judgment. There's no kind of, what great hopping? We wouldn't say that because that's it's not that kind of a relationship, I guess.
0: And it's not about that. No. No. No, And I, I think like improvisation is a huge part of what you got. What you all are talking about. I, I'd imagine like a lot of the performers are improvising on and and Every taking moment. feedback from what's happening That's with exactly the audience. That's exactly
3: what's going on. And that, that, that was a big learning curve for our actors at the beginning. The very first few times that we were working with the um, children from Elm, they were disappointed when things didn't go as they had planned. But as time went on, they became more flexible and understood that there isn't really a plan. You might have something in your head and it might not go there, but it might go somewhere more exciting instead. And that's why it's so great to have children as co-researchers because mm-hmm. they have other ideas about where things might go. And if the actors are flexible enough, then it goes somewhere where nobody expected. Mm-hmm. And that's what's re- and that's really exciting for the actors too. When we talk about it afterwards, they're like, oh, did you hear that guy? that that little boy he started talking about eagles and he Mm -hmm. became an eagle after that instead of a magpie and and he was so excited about you know scaring the other birds and running through things it was just it becomes really exciting for the actors as well
0: Mm -hmm. well that's so amazing i think this is a really great place for us to take a short break and we're going to come back and talk a little bit more about improvisation in theater and with uh young citizens
1: All right. And we are back. Um, So Robin and Heather, uh, we'd really like to know when it comes to children's theater, what are some practices that share the power with children?
2: Thanks. That's such a great question. It's something that we've been thinking so much about when we're talking about children's agency and those relationships between the performers and the children. So one of the things that I think that we came to originally was trying to make sure that we're not developing offers or invitations that have a prescriptive response. So we were talking a little earlier about how improvisation is so important here. Right. And when you're having improvisation, that means that lots of responses are welcome. They're encouraged. Responses can be embodied. They can be uh, quiet and watching. They can have vocalizations there's all kinds of different ways that you no can wrong respond answers. exactly exactly
3: it's a yes and now let's go here oh mm-hmm. that's an interesting idea let's go there
2: mhm yeah and so that is one thing that i think is is really important for creating a space where you can share share power and share that kind of experience and um, i think that also it can be really helpful to create optional spaces options that children can have so I can do this and be over here with my caregiver or I can jump up and participate. So that's a little different than the improvisation thing because what you're doing is you're creating safe spaces. So one of the things that Robin developed right off the top was the idea of nests.
3: So the children came in with their caregivers and there was a place for them in the open space that, w- that had blankets and pillows so it was a place to sit and be comfortable. Um, and those became often, at the beginning anyway, it became their safe space. So they'd run out and be part of it. And then they'd come back to that space where their caregiver was. But, but they could also move those around. So mm-hmm. at one, sometimes they picked up those blankets and used them as wings and flew with them. And then after that, we thought, oh, well, we need to give them some wings that are their size. So we, we created smaller pieces of props so that they weren't trailing big blankets around and (laughs) tripping over them. They could come and get their own, a child size set of wings so that they could fly in the space.
1: That's amazing. Um, Sorry. I just want to, I think it's such a beautiful example of that feedback and seeing that's how the child, that's how they want to play play with it. Let's make it so that they can
3: can play with that.
1: That's awesome. Um,
3: (laughs) We had another example of that. We had, at, at one point, we had a large number of, of pine cones and the children were trying to collect them and they kept they, they wanted to collect more than they could hold in their hand and we thought oh so then we we added baskets so they could go and collect them and have their own basket because they just wanted they wanted that idea of collecting and holding things so that's one of the benefits of being able to have uh, see the same children more than once sometimes that as we do our research if we see one group and we see we look at them one day and we talk in the afternoon about how might we have done that better? What do we think they needed here? What what would have helped us in this in this situation? We can add some of that. We add some of that the next day and see. Oh, did that work? Did that not work? Was that really what they were looking for? Because they may not be able to articulate it if we ask them a direct question. They might not be able to articulate it yeah. if they're if they're that little, but they can show us whether they liked it or not. They can show us whether that worked or not. Sometimes with repetition, we see it too. We sometimes do uh, like a rhyming poem or an action poem and they might watch the first time, but then the second time they're going, oh, I can do some of those actions or I can say some of those words or I can be a part of that if I want to be. Or sometimes there's just one part that they really like. And so they do that (laughs) over and over and over.
0: You know, one part that I think is really interesting about this research is the fact that it's not quantitative. Like there's no, there's no defined, like...
3: There are no charts that come out of things. Exactly.
0: (laughs) And it's such a, but it's very useful research. And it's, and it's, and it's teaching uh, about, about children, how we behave and and things like that. We are learning things, but they're just not a one size fits all cookie cutter type of of research. So I think that's really important.
3: Thanks,
2: Dylan. And I
0: think that's really, I don't know, that's, that's normal for, it seems for the arts community for our research. Yeah. I think that's
3: very true. Robin it,
2: used the phrase listening to the children and we're thinking about even listening in sort of that multimodal literacy sense, right? Like where th- some of the children are pre-verbal but we're finding ways for them to respond. And so when you ask the question, how do you create, um, oh, I can't even remember, like like agency kind of relationships yeah. for the children, that's part of it is us really finding ways to listen or pay attention to how they're responding. and. Um, i think that the sometimes the like or the not like isn't the most important part but it's what do they find engaging what are they what do they want to explore and how not always but sometimes right yeah
3: i think it's also really interesting that for our for our research assistants we we often have research assistants that are actors or technicians but we also have research assistants that are from outside of the arts and every time we've had those research assistants they've been really really excited by the work like They're like this is so this is so much fun this is so much this is so exciting i
0: didn't know research could I didn't be this know it way it could be like
3: this <laughs> you
0: don't yeah. have to publish this in a journal what
1: oh but well, we, we do
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it's i mean it's but the things you joyful. get to publish
0: yeah.
1: yes it's joyful
2: it's super
0: yeah, joyful
1: it sounds joy like i have like a my cheeks hurt from smiling hearing about all of these nests and wings and and kids just kind of.
0: Brittany just wants an adult version of this, where we can go and explore <laughs> I and be do, birds. And... Because
1: I mean, that's
0: we do miss it from like we uh, uh, when we grow up, you lose all of this pl- uh, uh, essence of play. It seems you know we have our own ways of entertaining ourselves, but it's it's hard to get back to stuff like that. You know, you can join a improvised group of of theatrical. Um, people that where you can go and be free and do do these crazy things, but it's very outside of our regular life.
3: Well, what's really interesting for us, too, is our early childhood um, researchers love what we are doing because they like to have their students come in to be a part of that play because they say that that although their students are are great at the analysis and looking at children and reading children and understanding, they're not as good at playing as the actors are. Mm -hmm. So we've been combining. So when we say actors, we're not necessarily always talking about trained actors. Sometimes we're talking about, we have three trained actors and we have two uh, early childhood students who are part of, who are now actors, Mm -hmm. but we get different responses. Like, so when, when we're looking at how did this offering go, those, those groups of, people have very different responses to, this is how we could do something better. Why don't we try something like this? So it's a really great uh, combination of research assistants as well.
2: Mm-hmm, absolutely. When we started, we
3: just had actors. Mm-hmm. And then, so sort of for the first couple of times, and then once we added some early childhood specialists, like Margaret came in, that, then we started to think, oh, so we need research assistants that are from that area as well. And that combination has been really fantastic.
0: Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. Um, so children are kind of like, refer to them as like precious cargo almost, you know, they, they, they there must be some sort of limitations on working with small children. Like um, any, perhaps you can describe some of the challenges that might've arisen that you might've not thought of when we were planning this, like there's.
1: Well, gotta... even for example, I have a question. Um, Because if you're working with minors or children in research, like oftentimes you need a special kind of dispensation for that. So can you talk about um, any challenges that you've encountered with working with children or being able to work with children, if that makes sense?
2: Well, I think it probably goes without saying that the pandemic was super disruptive to this research because we really couldn't safely work with the children directly. So that gave us a lot of opportunity to really reflect on the work that we'd done. We take video and still images throughout our processes. And so we had took lots of time to analyze the work that we had already done and try to build on it without our co-researchers, our very young co-researchers. It's not the same without them. The <laughs> yeah. pace is a little slower as well. The development is um, different, but those health concerns are always there. Um, Robin is fantastic and very conscientious of making sure that everything can be washed,
3: <laughs> you know? Well, especially because if, if we have small children playing with the props...
1: They're going to put it in their mouth. <laughs> absolutely.
3: <laughs> absolutely, they are. And it has to be safe for them, too. Yeah. So, yes, everything has to be washable and dryable. And we need twice as much as you would think you would need because if you're going to do more than one performance in a day, you can't use the same yeah. materials. So that's a lot of stuff. Yeah. But also, we can't have... 50 children in the room. No. It's a really limited amount of children that you can have in the room to participate. Because that
0: has to do with perhaps attention span and...
3: No, I wouldn't say that,
2: but it does have to do with the integrity of the work. So to be able to create those kinds of meaningful relationships and create a space which is inviting for children to participate and also safe for them and a space where they can engage directly with the um, actors and the light and all those things that we've been talking about... It needs to be a very small and intimate performance space. I'm currently thinking about 20 children is our maximum.
1: Okay.
0: It's probably a lot to like keep it keep almost like hurting. I, I, that's a it, weird word, but hurting the children. Like if it was too big, it would be hard to
3: well and maintain. And, and it's important that each child feels like they were important to that performance. That 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 things would have been different if they had not been there. So they need that agency. And, and if you have 100 small people in a place with their caregivers, there's there's no interaction really between them and what's going on. There's not enough room, not enough time, not enough other personnel there. We also don't want to overwhelm them with actors, so it's not a good idea to have 10 actors in the room. You really want to have you know three or four actors so that the children feel comfortable, that they feel that they can interact with them. And that they feel they feel safe and part of that environment.
0: You know, it almost seems similar to like seeing a, a band at a stadium, and then seeing the like a big band in a small venue is how I can kind of refer that to is like it's or a more intimate setting of it more for like the a audience kitchen party. or a mm. kitchen party, <laughs> exactly a small right, intimate where you can, setting where you can
3: sing along and play the instruments and make a suggestion about what's the next song. And so dance.
2: There we go,
0: that's the more interactive part. That's yeah, the big difference right there. Things.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: stand
1: back and spectate.
2: Wow. Yeah. Yeah, all of that. So for that, I think I said for already, but for the integrity of the work, the number of people has to be fairly small. And so you asked about limitations, yeah. and I would say that that's a significant limitation because this kind of work can never be adequately funded by ticket prices. It just doesn't make sense. And you could never ask a family to pay for the kind, of, you know, the kind of ticket price that would be required to be able to pay the performers and the artists and for the materials and to rent the space. So we're so grateful that McEwen you know, supports this as research. We're applying for other grants. We need that kind of work and the public needs to support this kind of work. They need to view this as an important, valid audience who is deserving of meaningful aesthetic experiences that are directed towards them.
3: And other countries, this is a government-supported kind of endeavor. Like um, in England, in Scotland, um, in Norway, all, well, all the Scandinavian countries, there's a concerted effort to uh, provide arts experiences to very young children and to, and to families. It's not just to children, it's to the family so that they are a part of that and understand the importance of that.
2: We have a colleague in Germany who said like during the pandemic that the families were just so frustrated because the theaters were closed. What were they going to do
1: if they I couldn't thought... take their very young children to theater? And we're like,
2: oh, if only! Right? <laughs> what a problem
1: to have. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I really, yeah. I want to dig in there because you mentioned that, you know, people should recognize the importance of this. So if you could both touch on, on why is it so important? Why does this work matter? really, in the greater big picture?
2: Children matter. They are our youngest citizens, and they have a lot to contribute to our communities. And we need to see who they are and create spaces for them that are meaningful for them. And not for who they are going to become, but for who they are right now. And that means a lot of different things. And children are individuals. So it's going to mean different things for different individuals. And of course it matters if they have special needs, if they have autism or if they have mobility issues or hearing impairments, those kinds of things, if they're part of deaf culture, those matter, but they're also individuals with individual taste and some are gonna like it and some are not. And so having a theater experience that they can approach in their own way and meaning from of their own way is really valuable for them. It's also valuable for them in the relationships that they're going to be making with their educators, with their families, with the world. It helps them to ask questions, to think differently and imagine differently and to be I'm going to say that when um, Robin said that, you know, they have to feel like their their presence matters and if you feel like your presence matters then you feel like your own creative contributions are being heard and honored and explored as well and you're a co-creator and that's so meaningful for an individual
3: yeah children want to control their own environment in their own way as well and it gives them agency and it will give them it gives them agency in the future it's part of what flight is about as well it's about recognizing children as as they say, mighty learners and concerned citizens and people in their own right, as opposed to those little folks over there. It values them for what they are and what they can do, as well as for what they can be.
2: The Canadian government did sign the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of the Child, and children have the right to meaningful arts experiences that are for them at the age that they are at. And we believe that our government and our communities should support this kind of work and, and, um, yeah, that it does matter.
1: Yeah. I think, I mean, when you said for who they are right now, rather than who they're going to be, um, it was like something snapped in my head because honestly, I don't have children yet, but like, I've never thought, about kids in that way they're kind of like okay they're kids but like no they are little people and they are living a life and they are experiencing this in real time they're not future adults they are little people right now so yeah that was really beautiful thank you
0: well you know I I always thought like growing up I always had access to I lived uh, downtown Red Deer and we have these children's festivals every year and so me growing up downtown red deer very close like it was two blocks away from where they would host the children festival i had access to this and it's even if my parents didn't want to go it's like it's two blocks away i'm gonna go anyway depending on what age i was at but it was so fun and it was such a important experience for me as a as a child i think growing up we had you know there was science experiments and uh stages with children performers and things like that and uh things like this are very important for 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 that indeed
3: it it just it's just part of a bigger world it shows them there's part of a bigger world too that something else that they can contribute to something they can be a part of and and there as i said there there's there are people
1: right now a hundred percent and giving people agency and giving people power is almost never a bad thing (laughs) um we are coming towards the end of our time but we do like to leave the floor with our guests. Um, So if there's anything we didn't ask about that you think is really important, any parting words of wisdom, um, any shout outs you want to give, this is basically your space to interact with and, and leave us with your presence.
2: Well, in terms of the future of this project, I think we're hoping that we're going to take the research that we've been doing in terms of dance and movement and in terms of props and lighting and to create an experience that will be available to be shared with other families and you know beyond the beyond McEwen that's something that we're really excited about but in the meantime there's a lot of artists and people who have been working on it already who have made such rich contributions so of course the Education team at Elm, who we mentioned, at the Early Learning at McCune, are extraordinary, and the families and the children, who we view as our co-researchers, have been great. Um, that's a big, important one. We've also worked with, as I mentioned, Margaret McCutitian and Jamie Leach as early childhood education experts. Recently, we brought on Travis Hatt as a lighting designer, and his work is bringing us to a whole new, beautiful level. It's wonderful. And then we have a host of research assistants.
3: We have too many to name. We have actors. We <laughs> have uh, technicians. We have uh, early childhood in, uh, students. We have students that, that were RAs sort of across the university that helped us uh, video record and uh, analyze things and make lists and just be part of everything that we were doing. They've been fantastic. And a couple
2: of community members as well have worked as oh, research right. with mem- yeah. research so, assistants. yeah, we're very, very privileged to have all of these wonderful people working with us. And, you know, we do do debriefing and have uh, conversations about the work where we analyze the videography and the the um, still images, but also the experiences that all of our research assistants have had and their contributions are making the work richer and more meaningful every single time. So we're really grateful to all of them. So, hey, you know, I actually would really like to be able to do a shout out to everybody who has been working on this project to date. And I, I really hope I don't miss anybody. But besides the early learning at McEwen children and families and educators, it's really important that we mention Brittany Amett and Jennifer Sibold, who are in the leadership team there. And I've mentioned Margaret McEutition and Jamie Leach, who are early childhood education experts, but also Lee Makovachuk over in early childhood education has been supporting us. And then we have a whole host of fabulous research assistants and I'm gonna share them with you in alphabetical order. So we've got Emma Abbott, Iris Baguignon, and I'm sorry, Iris, if I pronounced that wrong, and Courtney Deer, Ayla Gandel, Tanya Giuliotti, Jessica Jalbert, Chela Ledzma, Grace Mann, Sydney Maziarz, Inder Singh, Emily Smith, Aidan Spilla, Savannah, oh boy, sorry, Savannah, and Selena Vipon. And they're all amazing people who have contributed in so many multiple ways. Thanks.
1: Well, thank you um, for sharing that. And we're really grateful for you both coming and joining us on the podcast and really uh, shedding some light on an important but very small perspective. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much. Thanks Thanks for hosting us. All right. That's all we have for today's episode of Research Recasted. If you would like to express your interest in this podcast, you can visit Research Recasted on your favorite podcast platform to find new episodes every two weeks. Also, check us out on Instagram at Research Recasted, where you can leave a like, give us a follow, or send a message if you have any follow-up questions from today's episode.
0: This has been Research Recasted, a knowledge mobilization podcast brought to you by the Office of Research Services and the Faculty of Fine Arts and Communications at McEwan University. Research Recasted is hosted and produced by Dylan Cave, Brittany Eckland, the music and the sound design and the editing by me, Dylan Cave, with the research copy editing and scripting by Brittany Eckland. Our executive producer is Ray Bury.